Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I'm so happy to welcome Hakim El Fadil as my guest. Hakim is the host of the Smart Water Solutions podcast and the PhD student with a fascinating path. Indeed, he spent almost a decade in the water industry and then switched back to academia to fulfill a very specific project that would have been killed otherwise. This week, you'll see that we dive into the way we learn and share within the water industry. Hakim will tell us how sales and marketing people active in our very technical industry need competitive benchmarks and technical understanding, and how podcasting is a powerful channel to save them powers of exhausting searches and cross-platform investigation. He'll take us through three layers of information that shape the water sector and explain how giving is the true having, as the best way to understand a topic actually is to explain it. In our conversation, we also addressed the influence of product life cycles in the water industry, the work behind every single technical deep dive, the similarities and differences between scientific papers and podcasts are the best ways to bridge industry and academia to build a successful path. So, we'll get started in a minute. But right before, I'll ask you for a little hand to help increase water and wastewater awareness. Please, if you like this podcast, share this episode with at least two people. And if there's anything you don't like about the show or a topic you'd like us to cover, just drop me a word, ideally on LinkedIn. Do it, share it, I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. So hi, Hakim. Welcome to the show. Hi, Antoine. I'm glad to have you. I'm really glad to have you because uh, it's the first time I see you. I've been listening to you. So I'm really happy to have you here. And actually, you know, I like to start every interview with a postcard. And I was looking at your place. I mean, the place where you live right now. And I typed it into Google. And Google didn't return me something about the city at first. They just said it's the headquarter of the biggest beer company in the world. <laughs> so <laughs> you live in a beer city, right? <laughs> yes, that's true. Thanks a lot, I mean, Antoine, for having me in this podcast. And I'm really also glad to be here. And thanks a lot for having people who really from the water domain and really bring really very good insightful content. So you ask maybe the wrong guy because I don't drink alcohol, but I'm exactly in the middle of the biggest, let's say, beer corporates worldwide. But the good thing, they have alcohol-free beer. <laughs> That's the good thing. <laughs> um, so the, the good thing about Leuven, I would say Leuven is, is very famous with the University of KU Leuven. So you can imagine you have more than uh, 55,000 students and People who are living in Leuven is almost 70,000. You can imagine that the people are living in Leuven are actually working for the 55,000 students. More than 5,000 <laughs> PhD students, all of them in medicine, drug, and then uh, chemistry and other stuff. So it's a huge facility. Yeah. Apart from that, I would say to me, someone coming from Morocco, I know the French language, being touched with the French culture. Leuven is like, really, it's a harmony between French and Dutch culture. It's beautiful, I would say, city. It's, I would say it's recommended to visit for someone who would like to see the harmony mix between French and Dutch cities. It's, it's here. Okay, so that's a good recommendation for the day we can travel again and we can visit places. So <laughs> Hopefully I'll put soon. it on my bucket list. <laughs> Actually, you touched the University of uh, Leuven. You just mentioned it. If I take the opportunity to jump into your, your path. You are currently pursuing a, a PhD at the, the University of Leuven. Right. Do I understand that right? Yes. So right now, I mean, my background is 
in water technology. I've been working with Dow Chemical for um, about eight years, Dow and Dupont. And then last year I moved from, let's say, working in the water industry to doing some fundamental research. So right now I'm doing a PhD on research and developing solvent-tolerant non-filtration that can be used for water mixed with solvents. This is the reason what I'm doing here. So just to give you a background, how I ended up here doing a PhD in Levins, it's quite, I mean, most of the students, they ask me, okay, what are you doing when you find a job and what bring you back to, to school? Um, yeah, it's not conventional, I mean. Uh... I know, I know it's not conventional. And you are right. I mean, sometimes you get involved in some things and really you get like, let's say, very interested on in one topic. And then, you know, the companies, they change the strategy, they change the way how they navigate in whatever the application that they are in. And most of the time they develop projects and they put a bullet on the head of that project, they kill it. So it's, if it stay in your heart, you will continue that project. If you said, okay, I will move, I will keep going. Whatever the company takes me, then, then you keep going. For me, I have done the voice of customer of that project. I understand, let's say, the technical background behind this technology. And we started actually, when I was working with the company Dow Chemical, we have started that project with Kai Levin and other companies, and other universities to develop this chemistry platform for solvent tolerance applications. So when the company said no for that project, for me, it was... I was reluctant at the beginning and then later on I decided, okay, let's take a risk, jump to that project because there is a good value for this technology if someone develops it in the future and it will solve a couple of applications in the industry. And also the team that's here in Leuven, I mean, Professor Ivo Van Kielkum is well known and he has more than three decades expertise on this, on this technology, which I think... A few universities worldwide has this, let's say, this expertise. And this is, let's say, the reason how I jumped from working at the company to doing a PhD at the university. So you mentioned seconds ago that you're working on a technology that someone might develop in the future. Let me put that idea in the fridge because I didn't realize before you just said it. And uh, now that's something that makes fully sense to me with your path and with your, your various interests. So really, I put that question in the fridge and I'll come back to you within our deep dive with that topic. Uh, <laughs> actually, just before we go to the deep dive, I'd like to get how you fall in love with, with water. How did you start this interest with water? And how do you connect the dots between your first engineering studies, then you've made a a master's in, in sensors technology, which is also amazing when you think of it. Then you've been in the industry, you come back with the research. What is this connecting line? Is it a water line or what is it? It's, I mean, this is back to when I did my master in, in, in Morocco and uh, in chemistry. And frankly, when I was doing my study, I was always asking myself, what is the sense of all those things that we are studying? And then I think, yeah, most of the students, they get these questions until the end of the master thesis when you choose the topic, if you choose the topic that you like. I remember we had a lecture, which is that time water treatment, and we had a professor who teach us in one lecture, the reverse osmosis technology, I think in 2007. And by that time, he was talking about this technology and not too many companies worldwide at that time were producing reverse osmosis. I think it was yeah in the US and then Japan. And then I get interested on this technology as a membrane technology and then did my master. And after that, I was looking where I can continue my study. And at the same time, I get, yeah, you get good quality of study and same time have access to the industry market to get some expertise. And also it's not expensive. I would say it's kind of free of charge. So the good place would be it's in Germany it's where we can study. You have the access to the company to do internship, to work after that. And also it doesn't cost too much. I mean, you have, you get, I mean, a decent good quality of education, but it doesn't cost you like in the UK or in the other place. So I moved to Germany and I moved to Castro. That was recommendation of my friends. 
one of the good place in in Germany to get good education is it's also same like Leuven is city really it's a mega city for student and at that time I selected a topic that was also interested in me which is sensor all kind of sensor that we use in a chemistry lab uh, conductivity sensor pH sensor and um, uh, flow sensor all those kind of sensors was very interesting for me because something that you touch them something that you evaluate what you have in your water I did a master and in that department, I remember, it's an electronic department and there was only one professor from a chemistry background. And someone told me there is a professor here who work in water technology and he work with universities from Morocco, from where you're coming. So I stepped to his door. It's like perfect match. He told me, I have a project with Marrakesh University on treating the olive oil wastewater. So I said, I'm looking for internships. I worked with him for small projects and after that, another project. And after that, I did my master thesis with him on developing membrane bioreactor for olive wastewater treatments, which we get from Tunisia and then Morocco. And then later on, Dow Chemical was looking for someone who can understand the language and the mentality of North Africa to support North African for water treatments and also who has slight expertise on MBR. At that time, Dow has intention to step in the MBR business, but they didn't. And there's someone who is willing to travel. So this is how I get working with Dow Water Pro Solutions, having, let's say, master thesis in MBR. And also I was working on non-filtration to remove arsene. We had also another project, friend of mine in that place, we had a project with Bangladesh, where they developed a non-filtration with renewable energy to remove arsene from water for drinking water. So those are the components that brings me, let's say, to Dow Chemical, I would say, and then working in water sector. That's an interesting path, an uncommon path, but it's an interesting path. <laughs> yeah, and then interestingly, with, when I get to see the first Installation, desalination, for instance. For me, it was interesting. It's like you have a membrane inside the whole system and the membrane communicates with us with sensors. For me, like was kind of something that's deja vu, something that is, it, it doesn't scare me. The things that they have done, how they calibrate the sensor, how they program it with MATLAB or Siemens or whatever the software. For me, it was not so difficult to get to that space. I guess the story makes sense, but the deep dive of today is another story which I would like to understand coming from you. I have alluded to it a bit in the introduction. The reason why I've listened to you quite a lot before we, we meet is that you actually run your own water podcast. And, um, you know, I had um, Adam Tank and, uh, and Jim Loria on that same microphone a couple of weeks ago, and they, they also run a podcast. So let's say uh, it's uh, the podcaster meetup. <laughs> but what Adam said is that to him, there were already plenty or too many podcasts on the water topic and which I would oppose if you take a category like, like true crime, there are like 10,000 times more podcasts than in the water world. But to me, when I started that podcast venture, the only podcaster I knew was you. And um, I felt like, you know, it's very cool to listen to your interviews for one hour per week or one hour every second week. But that's not enough. I need more. So I thought, okay, that, that, that more of, that I need, I'm going to create it. So that's how I started, a bit following your, your path. So that leads me to a very simple question is, how did you start? Why did you start a podcast venture? <laughs> it's a good question. You know, when my job was traveling to the customer more than 40% of time. So when I was traveling, I need to use that time in the train, the airport, in the taxi, in the flight. So it's so much you lost. I mean, when you travel to the customer to have one hour meeting, you spend two days traveling. And those two days, the only thing that I can use them is when I'm waiting for any transport or in the car. I was listening to the podcast, Joe Rogan, Jordan Patterson, I mean, psychology, blockchain and different topics. And then... There's one thing that whenever you go to the customer, when you step out to the door of the customer, you get an information about the weakness, the strength of your product, what you are selling to that customer. And then also you get insight about the competitors. And then 
when I was traveling to other customers, I mean, this is something that I most of the time I do when I'm traveling, let's say, a big daily producer in New Zealand. So the first thing I do is I study the homepage. And then when I study the homepage, I try to understand what kind of new product they have done. Let's say they concentrate new protein with EDI with this technology. Aha, this technology competing against the technology that I am offering. So this kind of content was not available in podcasts. I need to sit in the hotel, look on the internet, search their stuff. There was no video, nothing that can give me this information. Then I was looking in a podcast. I didn't find someone who can bring me this insight because if I get this information, I will be very confident when I sit with the customers. I know exactly the weakness of mechanical vapor compressor. I know the weakness of aquaporin. I know when aquaporin makes sense compared to the vis osmosis. All those kind of insight, I didn't find them. And then I discussed, I, I ran kind of, you know, when you launch products, the first thing you need to do, blueprinting voice of customer to understand if there is a need, not develop something based on vacuum. So I asked my colleagues from marketing and sellers, and they told me it's definitely a good idea because we spend so many hours in the car if we would have someone can bring us those insights, that will be valuable for us using that time instead of listening five hours music or whatever. So this is how they encouraged me. And then I started doing my own podcast. So that was a competitive benchmark on one end. And it was also a sales training or an application training for your, your sales colleagues. Exactly. You, I mean, you said the point that was at the beginning was kind of a product for my surrounding, the first interview I did with consulting was something that I was happy I sent it to, let's say, to the customer that I've been working with. And also, I mean, if you look to my first episode, there were questions answered that so many of my customers, they would like to get an insight or answer about. So it's like something that helped me and also helped my surrounding at the beginning. It's, it's very interesting because... It sounds familiar to me, not because of the competitive intelligence element, but because of the explaining the sector to my, my colleagues. And sometimes I thought, you know, they will be tired after a certain point of time to listening only to me. So let me drag in some people that might be much more experts of the field than I am, and they will explain to them. So it's very interesting, actually, because it's it sounds very similar to me. But Actually, what's interesting is that in the meantime, I found out that there are more podcasters than just you and me covering this water field. But still, when you look at the various podcasts which are out there, I'm not sure if there's many others in Europe. I still don't know all of them. But there are lots of fellow podcasters in the US. And um, what they share with me, which they don't share with you, is that they all come from the sales and marketing side of the industry. And to my understanding, you are the only technical podcaster in this water field. So how do you feel to be different there? Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think maybe you, you agree with me. Or, I don't know. It's, when we talk about, I think, water technology, when you sit in front of the customers, I think... 95% or more than 90% is technical discussion. And that technical discussion actually is translated to marketing and sales pitch. So when I'm talking about CAPEX, OPEX, it's something that you explain to me how much OPEX and CAPEX and then translate them in terms of dollar. And that's exactly what the sellers and marketing, they pitch the customer. Look, we have... A product competing against B products because you would save so much OPEX within one month and the return of investment, this is how much. Before getting those numbers, there is a technical question, which is you ask the customer, what problem really you need to solve with the membrane that this technology cannot solve? They said, well, we have problem. We need to shut down the system every day. We need to clean the system every day. This is the technical information that I'm looking for. You and marketing, you take that information and you make sense out of it in terms of money. So we, all of us are talking the same language, let's say, but a different layer. So this is why for me it was kind of this raw material 
that I'm trying to extract is first valuable for the people who are operating daily in the plants and also valuable for marketing and sellers. Because I've been working with marketing people, they know when you say something technical, they can translate it into dollars. How much would mean for their customers? So this is kind of, let's say, for me, I'm, I'm kind of the bridge between the technical and the marketing. And you guys, you have the sophisticated language to translate what I'm trying to get out of the customer mouth in technical way, I would say. I think that's also a, probably a particularity of the water industry when you think of it, because it's full of engineers. So sometimes the, well, sometimes often the sales guys or the marketing guys are also engineers. So we are really... A, a technically driven industry. So, but yes, I, I think you're fully right. But still, I need to drag you in a corner and to be a bit uh, provocative here. You know, in your podcast speech, you identify technology experts as key stakeholders, as you just said, but also policymakers, investors, and researchers. And I don't see any kind of mention from sales or marketing people. So, what about us? We are we're this fifth colon, which is uh, invisible. <laughs> what do you think about this sales and marketing role? Is it somewhere in the background? Don't take me wrong. I don't try to bounce a, a bad question at you, but I would be interesting to have your take on sales and marketing. Is it only bullshit or? <laughs> well, I mean, if I look to the marketing people that I've been working with, I would say at least in within now, I think the most of them, they are I would say strongly technical than me. Maybe they have so much years working in this, in that field. So the way how I see the marketing people, they have very, very, very strong, let's say knowledge on technical stuff. The seller also, the only thing is, I mean, the seller or marketing people, they take with them TSND, which is TSND engineers. I mean, as my job is technical service and development engineer, because Every technology you keep accumulating technical details every year. The how and why this technology can bring value for X customer, the sellers marketing, they know that. But when it comes to the so many details that they accumulate every year, this is where they need, let's say, the technical guys like me. But Marketing and seller, it's not like consumer product. It's not plug. I mean, it's not like when you go to Amazon, you can compare smartphone X with smartphone B. No, it's very technical technology. And in order to do marketing part of this technology, you need to understand that technology. So to me, the marketing and seller people, they are very technical. Maybe they don't have enough time to follow all the details. And this is why they move to, let's say, to focus on a broad picture they have customers they have account they need to follow up with this account supply chain they have to deal with other stuff but technically they need to know i mean most of them they know what they are selling it's not like they sell you something they have no idea how it works and then what does it mean no no i think they know what they're doing and they have really let's say a good understanding of what's going on and in my podcast is when i say the water expert it's marketing, TSND, seller, EHNS, all those people who really work in water technology. That's what I mean by marketing. Even manufacturing people, they know what they are doing because they develop the stuff, they pilot everything inside the house, they mimic the condition outside. They really were tough with me. Whenever I have an issue with a customer, I get back to the supply people who work on this producing the memory, they know what they are doing. As I said, it's not like consumer product. It's a very technical product. You need to understand what you are selling. Do you agree with me? <laughs> you mastered that curveball, which I sent you. So uh, congrats for that. <laughs> no, um, I fully agree with you. I fully agree with you, which is also sometimes a limit when you think of it. Because as I said earlier, there's a lot of technical people in our water industry, which are working in sales and marketing roles. And the limit of that is sometimes we have more technical skills than we have sales and marketing skills because it's it might still be a different skill set. And I fully agree with you when you say that it's not consumer good and that you cannot just um, apply the same receipts than Danone or Procter & Gamble. But still, nevertheless, 
To me, when I switched from engineering and application to sales, the biggest thing I had to learn is that you have to go to the customer and prevent yourself from telling him what he needs. You have to start by just um, shutting up, raising questions, listening to his problems. And that is counterintuitive as a as an engineer. You're an engineer, you come to a plant, you see there's that problem, that problem, that problem. You have to control yourself because you want to go to the operator and tell him, no, correct that, then I would do this and I would do that. But if you do that, the guy doesn't know you. It's like, it's insulting. It's not the way you should behave. So that's why sometimes this industry might also benefit from pure sales and marketing guys with less technical knowledge because sometimes it's a blessing to ignore things because you you dare to ask questions. So that's the only, let's say, slight amendment I would have to your statement. But, but apart from that, I, I agree with you. Yeah, that that's definitely, I mean, I do see it in that way. But still, I mean, you are right. In those kind of water technology to a probe or to get... Because as you said, you need to be silent to get as much insight from your customer in order to pitch or to bring the value of your product in the table. To bring that value in the table, you need to probe. You need to have some questions to really have the feeling what's going on. And the better the question, the good insight that you can get from that person. And it always helps if you have good technical understanding because you will remove all those basic questions and you get to the heart of things that you think is very sensitive. You know, it helps, you know, but it doesn't mean that if you don't have that, you will struggle. No, I mean, um, I've known, you're right, I've known sellers who really have, let's say, a good overall vision. So when we're talking about selling a package of technology. I mean, now you sell, if you would like to sell UF and exchange an arrow, in that case, someone who is not familiar with all those technology, he is better putting questions more than us because everyone is looking for his silo, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, I'm looking to try for arrow member and he's looking for UF, he's looking for an exchange. But if someone is coming outside, he has different view. He may get something better than us. You're right. No, it's actually a fun thing I learned from my very first sales director. He was saying, you know, the day I understand an application, I cannot sell it anymore. So, <laughs> so he was actively, you know, when we were trying to explain him an application, he would just start, you know, just shouting, la, 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 no, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. So it sounds silly, but it's true. When you master a technical knowledge within this industry, you're a bit like a hammer looking for nails. And every nail looks just like another nail and you would just hammer it down with, if it's nanofiltration, you would just see nanofiltration everywhere when maybe at that specific place, another technology would have been a, a better suit. But what I would like to understand in your approach as well is you mentioned that you've used your podcast as a way to do competitive intelligence. So um, I fully understand that you cover a lot of membrane topics and uh, I get the digitization aspect of things which comes quite often in your various interviews. But there's one thing which to me is intriguing is this uh, interest and this uh, this focus you put on the investment and um, on the funding within this industry because that sounds a bit further, yeah, a bit further from your, your core membrane topic. <laughs> it's a very good question. And then, I mean, it's kind of a probing question. You, want to, you, you feel something that I have, which is, I mean... I had this because in my job, I was doing the TSND, the D component is development component, which means I was working with a large end users and also some big OEMs to try to develop a membrane that did not exist in the market. To develop that membrane, you need to understand why is valuable for them, bridge this value, try to get some funding internally, go to the R&D, develop that product, go supply chain, get the product, ship it to the customer, do the pilot test, and bring the product to the market, launch it. Good. I see this process and I was interested, let's say, I mean, everyone would ask me when you work with a big company or whatever the company, you said, oh, why not me? I mean, I have ideas. Why not go into entrepreneurial part? And you try to ask questions. And actually, this is from where I had 
to interview those people because I have seen, let's say, the pipeline from getting an idea, realizing an idea, getting the product. And then I know the product, what does mean in technically in the markets and from the marketing side, selling points. But there is one part that I have no idea about it, which is the funding part, the money. I mean, there are so many ideas in garage developers. If they are lucky, they get bought by big fishes, big companies. If they have no funding for them, it's money is oxygen. They will not get to the market. For me, it was interesting to, the first question that I had, I remember I had I put in paper, I said, are those people who invest in the water startup company, do they have something in, in their mind differently than the people who invest in IT or other companies? So I crafted a couple of questions and I was looking in Google, is there actually capital venture for water technology? And I found, yes, actually there is small companies who have money, they invest only in water technology. And I was looking to their profile, they have background on water technology, and I said, okay, why not? Because those people, they may bring something, again, for marketing and sellers. So I've been working with, so marketing and sellers inside the company, also they are interested on looking to the biggest threats because you are selling X technology. So you have no guarantee in three, four, five years what you are selling will be cannibalized with different technology. So a marketing and seller people, they always have an eye on outside what's going on. And if there is some small fish, they will catch it, buy it, grow it, sell it to the market. And that small company, it's most of the time, as I said, it, it needs funding. And this is why how I get to that part. I was interested to interviewing those people because at the end of the day, you will bridge and information about new technology is coming up to the market. This is why they invest on it. And all those information is valuable for the, let's say, the folks that I was working with. So that gives me the perfect opportunity to take my question out of the fridge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just quite cold. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that your current topic, which is this solvent tolerant nanofiltration, might be something that someone might develop in the future. And um, I remember one interview you had with uh, with Wim Odenart, where you were exploring how to transition from academics to entrepreneurship. And you just explained us this investment aspect of things. So is there any chance that in a close future or in a midterm future, you take that topic of solvent-tolerant nanofiltration, you make a, a company out of that, you leverage everything you've learned from your podcasting venture and uh, yeah, you build that next big thing. Um, I don't know, actually. I mean, I do have interests that I'm, let's say, I'm working on something, yeah, a couple of years, but not in an SDNF. And also was one of the reasons that I stepped out of working with a company, not only for the university. The university want part to finish this project because I see the value of it. But also I'm working on something in parallel because I see the value of it as startup. So back to your question, yes. So all this exercise that I'm doing with the CTO, CEOs, all the people that I invited, I learned from them something very interesting. And then all this learning, you are right. It will for sure sometime in the future, I will try to, let's say, implement it, what I learned from them. And then just back to your point to the investments. I mean, there is interesting when you look to, let's say, the new startup company in water technology. And then if you do the interview with them, most of them in garage or whatever they're coming from, when they get purchased, there's three people they sit in front of them. There is tech People who are very strong on technical, they check all their technical details, patents and everything, if they make sense. And they add on top of that their gut feeling whether this technology will make it in real industrial scale. And you know that. I mean, you, for example, more than me in MBR, if I bring you something on MBR, develop it in a garage, patented and sophisticated, you will look to this and you with your gut feeling what's going on in the market, you said, ah, it has some chance to be in or not. And there is financial guy who looks to the numbers one, two, three, four years, they give on their gut feeling and they give the ranking. 
And then the third person is the legal one. I check every, all the papers and if everything is fine, then this garage ID will have some oxygen, which is at the end of the day, which is money. And then they will get out of the market. So this learning, you may learn it if you are lucky with the big corporates, but also you may learn it alone. For example, me and you, you may learn it with a podcast, by the way, the podcast. And I mean, my experience, when I discuss with those people in the water sector, they're very friendly, they're open-minded, they share all those insights. I mean, we can learn so many things from podcasts and specifically your podcast. I mean, be listening to some episode. It's very interesting. It's to me is a gold information that you extract from those people. Entrepreneur, as you said, coming from the university, they can learn so much from you and they can get those things and they can apply them. You may not find them in the internet recent, but it's a good place to get this insight. Well, I think we are somehow cracking a secret here. You should all start a podcast because, you know, I, I quite often refer to what I'm personally doing. Like it, it's my, my personal MBA or my, my water MBA, if you want to call it that way. And uh, I think you're fully right. This industry is absolutely keen on sharing information, on exchanging thoughts, content, and on building on each other's shoulders. Yeah, I think um, the only thing you have to start at some point, you have to push the record button or to start discussing with people. And actually, you can also forget the full podcasting element and replace it by just discussing with people. And I think that's sometimes, not sometimes, that's always the best way to learn about a topic. It's to find someone that knows much more about that topic than yourself and to just raise him some questions. So it's very funny that the way you describe the way you see a your podcast venture because again i feel like i'm seeing myself in, in a kind of a mirror so uh <laughs> it's really interesting there must be some truth here if we feel the same on that but actually you know there's one thing that people ask me and where i have the shittiest answer in the world so let me check with you if you have better ones because people ask me you know you've been interviewing those people and, and this and that so you should know the future what's the future and I have no clue what's the future. I can maybe tell there's a trend on this, there's a trend on that, but I don't know the future. What about you? Do you know the future of, of membranes? Do you know the future of, of digitization? I think um, the people who really forecast and see the future, they have their answer by this COVID. I mean, <laughs> COVID has changed everything. All the numbers has been crushed down. So if you have a guarantee that COVID will disappear completely and there is no COVID 2021, then the future, I think just a simple answer. I don't have any, let's say, prediction on the future, but I do have one thing, which is, I mean, my experience, and then you can also share the same idea with me, which is water technology is not like an IT industry. I mean, IT electronic industry so when I was working in the past, I had a colleagues who work in the, in the electronic business and they change their portfolio every three years, which means the R&D is working like a hell, the manufacturing, they recalibrate everything. So they change their portfolio every three years. The software, I think the same thing. They change their portfolio every year, maybe. So the water hardware technology, we're still working with 20 years old membrane so it takes a long time wastewater and desalination to really get new technology which will cannibalize old technology or even the new portfolio it takes a long time to replace the old portfolio so the point is water technology it takes time at least in my experience is not very fast you cannot predict what's going on in in a short period of time of three or five years. So that's the bottom line, I would say. Your membrane analogy is interesting there because, you know, when I interviewed Graham Pierce, um, well, I was bluffed by him from the beginning to the end of the interview. That was really, I was talking of, of MBA. That was my MBA in membranes. But what was surprising to me, which I didn't know, is that he was mentioning that, you know, 20 years ago, he was going to customers and telling them, you know, you could be doing this and that with membranes. And customer would simply laugh at him and say, no, that's never, no one is ever going to pay for that. It's never going to be real. Who wants membranes? Who needs membranes? 
And that was just 20 years ago, and now membranes are quite everywhere. So it's true that sometimes the same product is still around, but still when there's a good ID and the time has come for that ID, then everything can be changed in five years, still within this conservative industry. Ion exchange is more than, I think it's more than 40 years. Okay. And then you can go the, to the, the nuclear station, you have, they still use the ion exchange to treat the water. Distillation, for instance, you need to fight with the regulatory in pharma industry. They, most of them, they use distillation. However, pharmacopoeia in Europe, they recently allowed to use reverse osmosis. In Japan, they they allowed to use reverse osmosis and other technology. I think it's more than five years ago in the US as well, but still those pharma industry, they still use distillation, which is 100 years old. So yes, for some type of industry like desalination wastewater, they can be flexible, but there are some rigid industry, as I said, like pharma industry, like uh, nuclear power. I mean, the way how they treat their water to get 18 mega ohm, that's, I mean, they don't tolerate any uh, membrane is good, but there is a chance 0.01% failure. No, so <laughs> there is no discussion on the table. So I agree with you in some type of industry. Yes, you can convince the people to adopt your technology because it's fancy, interesting, lower energy consumption and smaller footprint, etc. But there are some rigid industry that's yeah, it's difficult to move them from one industry to the other. I just alluded to Graham and I'd like to get your subjective feedback now out of your 28 um, interviews. Did you have a guest that blew your mind, that told you something that you were like, oh, I had no clue about that. Did that happen to you, this jaw-dropping element? Actually, in every episode, I learned so many things. And then for me, aquaporin was very interesting. I have to tell you, that's the one where I didn't understand anything. Yeah. (laughs) I was feeling so stupid and I re-listened to it. And the second time I listened to it, I understood a bit, but still, that must have been very technical, too technical to me. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, that's the point, Antoine, the way how, I mean, for every episode, it took me minimum, I think, around five hours up to 13 hours preparation. So I studied the technology from the homepage, the case studies, and then studied the background of the guest, and then have some kind of chat before the episode so i prepare is like i'm going to the customers and then i try to because i know there are so many information that i can find in the internet but there are so many information that you need to do your exercise to get to those information so the point is i know in in some episode it's maybe hard to follow because you may need to do some homework to to look exactly what the technology looks like (laughs) Don't take me wrong. I wasn't saying it was hard to follow to the opposite. I mean, you are breaking down a concept which is incredibly complex when you're not a membrane professional, which I'm not. And uh, I was able to understand some bits because you did this pedagogic effort, because you were synthesizing the the answers of your counterpart. So don't take me wrong. I'm not even criticizing at at all. It's just that I was like thinking, you know, there's this full word within the water industry which uh, <laughs> I simply see from so far away. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it should be easy. And that's also, this is kind of exercise that I have that I'm trying to improve every time, which is try to get the information from the guests as digestible as for most of the folks. Because you are 100% right. Sometimes I lean too much to a technical part rather than make it a little bit simple. So that's also one thing that I'm trying to work on. But back to your question, it's aquaporin. That's for me, was very interesting because I am a believer that the interesting technology for me in the future, those technology who combine two disciplines, the chemistry and biology. It's like aquaporin, for instance, someone who can copy the nature and they combine it with engineering and then the chemistry. That's very interesting technology however it's very tough hard to produce it and get reliable quality robot liable products in the market 
that's the challenging part but i'm a believer in those things and also it gets me out of my comfort zone i'm not an expert in biology you see that's the thing that <laughs> i struggle with but I, it's okay again it's a learning for me and also at the end of the discussion with him I was taking so much notes. I was Googling. I was looking for the book he recommended to me. So, so many, it's like he gave me another exercise. So for me, back to your question, that was one of the classes really I learned a lot. And I spent so much time afterwards to learn what he meant when he discussed something with me. So actually for everyone listening to this right now, if you want to have a look to that episode, I just, uh, just checked his, uh, the Smart Water Solutions episode number 18 about aquaporin and I would recommend to listen to it because it blew my mind really in the sense that there's a few podcasts where I remember what I was doing and where and that one I was in the train between Schaffhausen and my home in Basel it's a one hour travel in the train and, and the episode is roughly one hour and I was listening I was like I understand the words but the link between the words <laughs> But but it was very interesting. Don't get me wrong. I know that the description I'm making of the episode is now terrible, but really it was interesting. And I really listened to it a second time while I was running because I have to tell you as well that you've been my, my running coach for quite a lot of runs, a bit less recently, which is also something I like to get from you is, uh, did you pause your venture? Hopefully not stop it because uh, that would be a pity. Yes. I mean, you phrased it correctly. It's I paused because I bored on, on the steam with the... Uh with Leuven University and then try to digest. I mean, it's a different spectrum. Right now you get to the level to making a nano membrane and then trying to understand the chemistry exactly inside it. And it's very, let's say, small, I mean, a resolution that you need to search in. So I'm spending quite time with the team And then in the meantime, I'm trying to get back to uh, to the episode. Sooner I will launch some episode. But right now, let's say the priority is it's kind of shifted from publishing some episode to actually publishing the contents. At the end of the day, I mean, I the, the funny thing when I joined here at the university, for me, the professor is like you and me and everyone. They broadcast their contents. The only difference is they broadcast their content once per six months in terms of paper and article. And then we brought our content in terms of episode, you know, in audio episodes. So they also brought something what they found in the lab within six months or one year with other community globally. And then they follow them. And then to broadcast this content, it consumes so much time. This is why I'm, I'm really hooked by those people. But in the meantime, I'm trying to get back to the podcast. Because for me, the podcast is also, right now, it's the only way to keep me online with the water market or water industry. Because I get only papers, people who fantasize about very good technology in the water in the future. 90% of them, they will fall in the trash. <laughs> But the good thing is I'm keeping with the, yeah, the podcast, it's, it's like for me, it's, the, it's a nice window to get to learn what's going on in the markets. And luckily, we have people like you who really bring those insights to us to learn from them. You know, uh, you're making a good analogy between the articles and the, and the podcast. I sometimes see a good podcast episode, which is not always the case, but, but a good podcast episode as a summary article. It doesn't go in the depth of each of the articles, but if you read a summary article, you get an overview of a topic and you know that there are other more in-depth papers that you can just explore if you want to dig into the topic. And it's true that because of the format of the podcast, you could never go to, to the very bottom and start explaining uh, chemical reactions or how a curve looks like. And I mean, that's not the right medium, but probably to get a first glimpse of the topic it is a good mean i think so uh, that's my analogy but does that mean that you you're writing some articles right now right i mean if you would ask me what are you doing actually what is the thing that you are doing in this uh, phd project i'm trying to answer two questions the first why the commercial water non-filtration and commercial organic solvent non-filtration fail when you use them in water contaminated with solvent. The second question that I need to answer, which is 
Okay, what are the criteria that the nanofiltration need to fulfill in order to be solvent-tolerant nanofiltration? So it's, those are, let's say, two fundamental questions that I'm trying to search on and to answer. And then you mentioned an article, been working on one article, and actually it's one inspiration from Wim, I've been discussing with Wim. And then the article, I was just discussing with one of my colleagues in, in Leuven, she finished last year her PhD, and then she find the idea is a very good idea, and then we work together on it. Um, the first article was kind of a GPS, you know, the GPS for the academia to know the success criteria that's enables their membrane to be upscaled in the industry. Because so many universities, they develop reverse osmosis for water applications, but actually there is, or MBR, but there are some success criteria that if you fulfill those success criteria, you have more chance that your membrane be upscaled, you will get funding from the company and stuff like that. So we are trying to, um, this is kind of the first article to understand the success criteria from the industry to use the success criteria on filtrating all the membrane that has been developed in academia. I mean, not all of them, but in a couple of years, and then give some kind of uh, guidance as an article for the academia to share with them. It's like a bridge between academia and industry. This is what the industry, they would like to get as performance of the product in the real market. And also the way how you develop the membrane, for instance, you can have very fancy idea, nice idea how to, synthesize the membrane with toxic chemicals and at the end of the day you get you have a big organization in europe which is rich and this rich organization in europe they said oh no you cannot produce this membrane because we have this toxic chemical and then okay then this this someone can copy the recipe and produce it in china and bring it back to europe then the whole research which is in europe is like waste of time waste of money so we are trying to discuss those kind of things that is not aware that people in academia, they have no idea about those things. But someone coming from the industry, I know those things because whenever there is discussion to develop a new membrane for the markets, you bring the people from the HNS who knows what's reach in Europe requirements. So they stop you before thinking about something, they oh, stop this monomer or this polymer is not possible to produce in Europe, then think of some alternative environmental friendly or etc. And then we can develop that product. That sounds like a really fascinating topic. And I would have so many follow-up questions here, but if I do that, I have to take another hour to, <laughs> to go through the topic. But you know, I was taking one question and putting it in the fridge before. Uh, if you're into that, that topic, I would say when you consider that you've reached a point where you're ready for publishing something and you think of maybe making an audio version of, of what you publish, I'd be very glad to have you on the microphone and to make a, a deep dive into the topic with great pleasure. So Thank consider you. it like a, a suspended open uh, invitation whenever you want. I don't invite you as a podcaster. I invite you as the specialist for uh, solvent-tolerant uh, nanofiltration. Thanks a lot. I have a last question for the podcaster now. I'd like to go back to your beginning. You know, when you put something on, on YouTube or when you put something in on Facebook, the algorithm likes you a bit and says, hey, it's your first thing, but I'm going to show it to a couple of people so that you get some views and some people reacting to what you, you push online. When you first publish a podcast, well, there's absolutely no algorithm at all at any point, And that could sit there for 10 years with nobody ever listening to it. So... That to me was, uh, you know, quite hard at the beginning because I was so proud of my one, two, three first episodes. And, uh, and to see that if I was not actively pushing them everywhere and telling everyone to listen to it, well, just nothing would happen. So how did you experience that? What, was it different to you when you published your, your first episodes? Did you instantly feel traction? Or at the end of the day, that wasn't even your goal. You were there to make competitive intelligence and to give some content to your sales colleagues. So anyways, your goal was achieved. No, I mean, I had the same feeling like you. I mean, you, you do something and then it's like your product. I mean, the first time that's it's your product. It's not someone else's product. It's your product that you bring in the market. And there is so much ego in stake. 
So if people, they don't like it, you get, I had the same feeling. I ask all my friends in LinkedIn, I ask them, okay. I mean, the first thing is the circle that they develop it for. The customer, I said, okay, I'm developing something. Okay, send it to the customer. I send it to my colleagues. That's the first surrounding. And then, you know, exactly as you said, you wait, okay, one day, is there someone else? Okay, I ask the friends that I have. And then I ask them to push them in LinkedIn. And you're right. I mean, this point that you mentioned, I was not aware at the beginning. And then I get to the point, which is the podcast is not like Facebook is not like it's either someone reached them or not, you know? And then someone said, it always starts with the first listener, you know? And then you said, okay, the first podcast one, tomorrow is two, tomorrow three. And then you try to, <laughs> you try to forget that. It's okay. Try to focus on the list that you have. Because at the beginning, I put 10 guests, 10 potential guests. I put the schedule of, the, of those people. And I had, uh, I mean, I learned from one person, it's Brian Rawls. He is the one who really gave us some indication about the podcast. He said, Hakim, it's don't procrastinate, put your content, don't adjust too much. You are from academia. The bad thing, people coming from academia, they procrastinate, they want to put something perfect. Who cares? I mean, he told me, and he, he, I agree with him. The first episode that I listened from of Joe Rogan, was 1,200 something. I have no idea about this, the first 500. So maybe my good listeners will be when I reach 120 something. So the point is not to focus at the beginning how many people you grow, it's just to keep going, producing. And this is, this is what I not commit. And I really appreciate that you didn't stop. Don't stop, just continue and collect the bad feedback. That's where you grow. The good is nice, okay, but you need to collect those bad feedback, work on them, and try to remove your ego from that because it's nothing about you. It's it's the product that you put in the market. If something is bad, is bad. Try to improve it and go on. I learned so many things from this because, as I said, the first time is not someone else's product. If they blame, they don't blame me. I need to blame supply chain or someone. It's my product, so I need to be humble, humiliated, and then learn from all my mistakes and, and, and continue. It's interesting because, um, I mean, we are one hour in. If someone is listening to that, uh, I hope he likes it so uh, I can crack a secret. Uh, <laughs> I used to have another podcast in French where I was sharing some of the thoughts I had because before this COVID, everything, I was traveling quite a lot. And so I was seeing some stuff left and right and... Uh, whatever that was inspiring me in terms of sales I was sharing it. So anyways, I think it's not anything for people listening to this right now because it's a podcast in French. And with the pandemic, the first lockdown, I stopped. There was one week where I didn't release an episode. And then one week goes and the week after comes and you're like, well, I already didn't publish last week, so I can still not publish that week. And uh, there was no follow-up episode. That was my, my last episode. So <laughs> I tried to never break the chain and i think uh, it's a commitment which i have with the people listening but also with myself to not break the chain because i know myself and i'm probably not as resilient as you are and i know if, if i'm stopping chances are i'm never starting again so <laughs> <laughs> no that's true it's you need to keep the momentum that's the, the most important thing in a podcast is to keep the momentum but i mean as i said for me i've been going through a couple of stuff recently i mean from the last year and then the move doing this, it's kind of priority. I mean, you have this experience when you work on different projects, sometimes there is a priority. You need to hold something, hold on. You not necessarily need to kill that project, but just hold that project and keep going the other because... It makes free sense. Yeah. Akim, that has been awesome to me to discuss with you in this deep dive, but I have to close it at some point because I have to be cautious of your time as well. Sure. I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. Okay. It's time for the rapid fire questions. So in that last section, I keep referring to that, but it's so true. I try to keep the questions short so that you can keep the answer short. And don't worry, I'm always the one which makes it much longer than it should. So <laughs> here's my first question. What is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Developing and launching my own podcast. 
The reason is because there was no blueprint, there was no someone before me in water who breached this technical kind of insight. And I improved them based on honest listeners' feedback, really bad feedback. I'm trying to improve them. That's the most exciting and the reason why. How do you collect those feedbacks? I ask one by one. I have the emails. I really follow them. And whenever I know someone, I pitch him my podcast. He listens to it. I ask him again. So this is how I follow up with people. That's a very valuable advice to me. So uh, thanks for that one. <laughs> well, then we can. What's your favorite part of your current job? It's learning and let's say the edges of, of the breakthrough technology that is that are developed in academia, you know, and try to fantasize based on my gut feeling experience whether those kind of breakthrough technology will make it or not. That's the the interesting part. What is the trend to watch out for in the water industry? Oh, the, the water industry, I would say it's, uh, as I said, it's technology that's like aquaporing. I mean, I've seen technology really try to combine biotechnology, bioengineering technology and chemistry. I mean, those kind of technology, I, I mean, I'm a strong believer on, on those kind of technology, like aquaporing, for instance. I had um, Aris Kadrispaik from League Tech on that microphone and he was teasing something that they would produce which goes into that direction. So I guess that's now a second sign that you're sending me now with this trend on, on this combination that I, I should try to understand the, the in and out of the, that combination. So I think that's maybe a, a right point of time for me to listen to that aquaporin episode for a third time <laughs> to be sure that this time <laughs> I understand everything. So, yeah, I think I take a note for myself on that one. What is the thing you care about the most when you're working on a new project? And what is the thing you care the least? In the past, when I was working, I care so much about technical economical value of that technology. It needs to make some technical economical sense. The thing that I'm thinking less, which is how to bring it to the market or how to set it. Because I have confidence on people who can do that job. This is why I'm, I was not thinking that, are we going to sell it? No, I don't think about whether they will buy it or not and how we will sell it. But I care most about really the techno-economic value of that technology, if it makes sense or not. Do you have sources to recommend to keep up with the water and wastewater market trends? I, I mean, recently I only use LinkedIn. Let's say the platform that's whatever, because I have... I mean, you and so many people, when I scroll, every time I find something about water, that's the easy, friendly platform that I'm using. Which, sorry, I mentioned that I'm always the one that makes it longer. Do you think we've reached the maximum that we can take out? Because when I was first scrolling LinkedIn, maybe five years ago, it was just, you know, a job platform. So people wouldn't really look at at content. And nowadays, it's, it turns out that there's so much content that we are reaching the, the same points sometimes than with Facebook or Instagram, the, the feed is limitless. You could be reading stories about water day in, day out and stopping to work at all. Do you think there is still some means to stand out in, in that jungle and to sort out what's interesting and what's maybe a bit less? Absolutely. I mean, there is, I don't want to spoil the things that I'm working on, which is actually in this direction. But there is a need. There is a really need. I mean, I just can give you an indication. I mean, if you look to other industry, they are very well organized in terms of the content, just content, deep technical content, marketing content, and then also selling content, selling points. I mean, they are very organized. You can name it electronic, IT, and others. But when it comes to water, I don't think we have very strong platforms and then yeah place where we can get those insights so you might be helping with the curation in the future <laughs> hopefully okay that's a teaser more than a spoiler but uh, i'm teased so <laughs> last question would you have someone to recommend that we should definitely have on that same microphone peter Ertz. he's a cto of blue foot membrane based in uh, in belgium He was my mentor and I've been working with him a lot. He has his kind of startup company. It's very interesting what they're doing, those guys. And then, yeah, definitely I would recommend it. And then maybe the other guy is Marcus Kibors. This one is like an outlier. I mean, this one is 
is like a router for water industry. Everyone knows Marcos Kivus. I mean, that's also a second person that I would recommend. Two for the price of one. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Hakim. That was a, a pleasure to have you on the on the show. Last uh, almost housekeeping topic, you, you've alluded to LinkedIn. What is the best place for people to follow you? LinkedIn, probably? For me, LinkedIn, yes. LinkedIn would be a place where I can, where I also publish, I mean, podcast episode and then, yeah, where I do most of the activities as well. And obviously for the one listening to this, if you scroll in the, in the episode notes, you're, you'll find the, the links to Akim's podcast because I think uh, if you like somehow what I'm doing, and I think, I hope you do because after over an hour, if you don't like it, uh, you're kind of masochist, I guess. <laughs> uh, but if you like that, uh, definitely you have to listen to what Hakim is doing because it's like, the same but under steroids because uh, it goes deeper into the topics it's really it's it's a bible to me a bible a bit more oriented on, on membranes than i do but still a, a bible <laughs> no i mean definitely i mean uh, just one thing to conclude here antoine it's thanks a lot for invite and, and very good insight that you are trying to do and uh, the hard part is you are keeping the momentum and then the reward is immense And then, I mean, you can, you know, that, that my experience is, I think the attention span of the audience is not, I mean, it's crazy when you look to the podcast, most listens worldwide, it's three hours, including me. I listen to podcast three hours. Really, I don't care about, it's my time is three hours, but I do listen to the podcast. Even your podcast, if it's more than one hour, I mean, I really am hooked because all the things that you try to extract from the guest. As a water expert, I get them. So it's my attention to you, Idara. The first five minutes, as you said, from the summary, if I go or not. So if I go, I will go full. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks you. And uh, yes, yeah, see you soon as a, as a researcher and not as a podcaster. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andrew. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.